Welcome to episode number 44 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs, interesting people who tell their stories and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name's Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the show today, and I'm so glad you joined us to listen to the podcast. There are so many podcasts you can listen to, and I'm honored that you stopped by to listen to this one. Building a business is challenging, and it's never been more difficult than through the COVID lockdowns and restrictions. What do you do when you're poised to open an event space right when COVID hits? That's what Rich Dautridge faced when he and his team went to open warehouse cinemas. That's right, a movie theater opening during COVID lockdowns. Seems crazy, right? Stay tuned to learn more about how Rich and his team pulled this off. Hey, if you enjoy what you hear on the show, please leave a review and a rating. This lets me know what you like and what you don't like and how I can improve the show. I also encourage you to send this episode to a friend or a colleague who may be interested to hear the message from today's program. And now, here's my interview with Rich Dautridge. Well, Rich Dautridge, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Conrad. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I am the uh, president and CEO of uh, really two companies. One is called HiRock. We're a marketing and technology company um, based out of Maryland. And um, I also am the president and CEO of Warehouse Cinemas. We're a new uh, movie theater chain uh, that we launched our first one recently about two months ago. Wow. So I've had a lot of people in the movie business on my podcast from directors and producers and uh, all the like, but I've never had a kind of the end... uh, distributor on here where where you actually uh, show movies right yeah so uh we're on the uh, exhibitor side of the industry so distributors are the studios that obviously deliver sure. the films and then we take those films and uh try to market them and so we what we try to do at, at warehouse cinemas is leverage that marketing technology capability that we have on the other side of the business and really try to get uh the word out and, and create events around those movies uh, and those films that um Hopefully sell more movie tickets in the process for everyone. Very cool. So tell me a little bit about how you got where you are today. I mean, you didn't start out with, uh, you know, owning a movie theater. How'd you get to that place? Yeah. So in 2005, um, well, but previous 2005, I actually played professional soccer for about seven years. Oh, wow. So I, back in, uh, when I graduated from college in 1998, I played soccer for about seven years. Uh, what teams did you play for? I played for a team out of uh, Virginia Beach called the Hampton Roads Mariners, which was uh, D.C. United's farm team. And then Mm -hmm. I played in Charlotte, North Carolina for a season and then went to Baltimore to play for the Baltimore Blast for about five years. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I did not know that about you. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't get paid much money during that that, uh, season, if you will, of my life. Uh, My wife reminds me. But um, no, in 2005, sort of uh, while I was playing, I was dabbling in marketing and technology, and we started High Rock, that agency, back in 2005. And fast forward about five years into that business, it was going well. Um, you know, a lot of website design, a lot of video production, uh, branding, all those things that an agency does. Um, but our, our local 10-screen movie theater in Hagerstown, Maryland, um, which is about an hour from D.C., Baltimore, was essentially just run down. It was being operated poorly. and um, 
I made the uh, decision to go to the auction. They were auctioning the actual um, building that day in, in Hagerstown, the, the um, uh, movie theater. And walked up to the owner and said, "Hey, uh, you know, I just curious. Does, does the does the movie theater industry does it make money? You know, like what? How's this work?" And of course, they said, "Yes, it makes good money." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that started the adventure, if you will, of uh, just understanding uh, the exhibition space. And um, yeah, uh, we we jumped in with both feet, not knowing anything uh, back in 2010. And um, Man, how do you start? I mean, you just okay. Now you own this theater. What do you do next? I mean, what, what's your what was your what was your process? Uh, called people that I knew used to work there. <laughs> I said uh, the one conversation. I remember walking through the lobby and saying, "Okay, so tell me about staffing. Like, what do you need?" And they they they, you, they said ushers, and I didn't know what an usher was. So, uh, so you have ushers and and concession stand, and then there was this thing called. Um, a projectionist back then as well, right? So we had, um, we were film uh, back then in 2010. And um, so the big reels that uh, kind of lay flat on the thing and they, they spin and yeah. And they use words like platter and you know, <laughs> all those things. And so, uh, yes, I just basically cobbled together a team and said, hey, help me understand this business. And we sort of jumped in and went from there. And about six months of renovations, maybe probably seven or eight months of renovations. And then we, and then we ended up opening. Mm -hmm. But your first theater, it was it was different than the typical theater that uh, people may have experienced, right? Yeah. So back in 2010, we launched. Uh, it was July of 2010. Um, we actually had two of our ten auditoriums we retrofitted with leather recliners. And hmm. back then, I still remember looking at it was USA Today at the uh, gas station, and on the top of the USA Today, it said the future of movie theaters, and it was AMC had just launched. Uh, one or two or a, a few um, uh, locations with luxury recliners, and we ha we were also doing it in the middle of uh, in the middle of Western Maryland, which was a which was a small rural area. And um, but yeah, so it got really popular, and we kept renovating auditoriums to luxury recliners back then. So it's like uh, the, the the kind of benefits of your home recliner in the theater with all the things that the theater can bring you, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think uh, you know, the future of movie going, in my opinion, is it has to be an elevated experience. So we as we talk about a lot for warehouse cinemas. And that's one of the biggest amenities uh, that people almost expect now, I think. I mean, they'll go to the art houses and the smaller places. They have this, uh, call it a cool hip feel. But I think most people, the average uh, consumer, really wants a comfortable seat. They want their feet propped up because they have a decision to make. They can go out to the movie theater or they can stay home and watch it on many of the streaming platforms. So I think our industry, um, yeah, has to elevate in that way. And, and definitely recliners are one of those things. Mm -hmm. So what's this for the, the, the average movie buff? What's the, what's the benefit of coming to a theater? So we, we believe, and it's, it's, it's talked a lot about in the industry. It's this sort of partnership between exhibition and, and distribution. Um, and, and the conversation and, and, and what we believe actually will remain for a good while is this idea of getting out of the house. I mean, especially COVID. I mean, people just want to get out of the house now. They just, once they feel safe to leave the home, um, it, it's, I think we're wired as human beings to, to, to want what they call a shared experience. And that shared experience is simply, you can watch a similar movie. If you wait long enough, you can watch the same movie right at home. Um, and it's a, it's a good experience sometimes. And it's, 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 um, a lot of people that stream movies and watch movies at home 
are actually a higher percentage actually go to movie theaters as well. So they're sort of moving buffs, if you will. But I think I think why it matters is because as humans, there's this moment when there's 150, you know, strangers, if you will, in your community sitting in an auditorium, and you're with maybe one or two or three people, or your family. And there's this moment in the movie where it's either scary or that's funny and everyone has a shared uh, reaction to that scene right um and uh i think that's when you experience that it's different it's just it's a it's a it's a better experience um you know i always compare it to um you know going out to eat you know we, we we all need to eat and drink obviously but i think sometimes you just need to get out of the house and go go eat somewhere and I think that's what movie theaters are. And I think I even use the example of Starbucks. You can get the same coffee. You can get probably better internet if you stay at home. But if you go at any Starbucks, you see people sitting around. And a lot of times they're working remotely in a Starbucks with expensive coffee. Again, the same coffee, just more expensive. Uh, the internet's probably not as good. But it's a crappy internet. Crappy internet. <laughs> Sometimes. But they have their, heads, their headphones in. But they feel better and, and more connected maybe to the world, if you will, and to other human beings in that setting. And they're working remotely, not really talking to anyone, just interacting with other people in a, in a passive way, if you will. So. so what is it about movies that attracts us? I mean, why, why do people go to movies? Well, I think, I think, you know, the industry a lot of times will call it, it's, it's a two hour escape, right? So you, for two hours, you escape from everything that you've been going through and it's sort of a way to disappear into a story. And I think the stories that have, as you know, that are written well, that are, that have good photography, that are um, uh, directed well, all those things, they sort of, they sort of capture your imagination um, and you sort of, you sort of do disappear. But I think that's only the first part of it. I think what we try to do at Warehouse Cinemas and what, what we believe the industry should continue to think about is also all of the all of the things like spending time with someone that maybe you don't disappear into a, into a story, but you share an experience with someone that you care about. So, you know, we, we do events. And for example, we do one called Daddy Daughter Date Night. And if you see for a moment, um, in your mind, these, these, these fathers coming with their daughters and they're going to a movie. Sometimes it's their first date that they've ever had. And I think the movie's important, right? So they're going to go see, in our case, we did Beauty and the Beast uh, or two years ago. And uh, the movie's important because you, you experience that, that imagination, that sort of story. But at the same time, I think you left there with a stronger relationship with the person you went with you have that opportunity to now have a conversation around the film. Um, you can sort of laugh at, at, at dinner afterwards, if you will, with your daughter in that case. And I think that's where if we focus on community and relationships and sort of the bigger picture of why movie going matters, I think we start to frame up events. We start to, we start to see the movie as more than a movie, but actually a place um, to go hang out and actually strengthen relationships. As, as cliche as that may sound, um, I think it is an opportunity to go spend time with people you care about. And it's amazing at, you know, how some movies, I remember going to seeing, uh, what was the movie? Oh, it was, it was August Rush. And it you know, came out, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And my daughter was sitting next to me and she's a creative, she's an artist. And, and my wife was sitting next to her and, and my daughter and I just sat there bawling our eyes out yeah. in that movie. And it just grabbed both of us in, in a really powerful way. 
And my wife was like, what are you guys crying about? You know, I was like, well, it connected to both of us because we're both artistic. We're both, we have that bent. And it just, it just, we still talk about that experience together. Yeah. You know, I, one of the most powerful experiences is that I had sitting in a movie theater. We were actually, um, we had a chance to uh, preview a movie called Just Mercy. Mm. It was on the lot in LA. It was at a trade event and we had like, you know, 200 people in the, in the, in the auditorium. And, and my wife, my wife happened to be with me. And there's this scene. Have you seen the movie Just Mercy? Yes, I have. Yeah. The, 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 there's a scene. I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but there's a scene where there there isn't any sound. It's a scene just before the, an execution, and and there's this like ten. I don't know. It's probably only a five second scene where it's just like silence, and then the photography and the and the motion of it. It like it gave me chills. And super emotional in that moment. It's such a such a powerful story generally, but I think that's why it matters is because you had other people that twenty two hundred people. It it connected with everyone. We were all film, you know, and and and, 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 and exhibitors. It's moments like that that you're like, that's why you go out because mm-hmm. it's it's it it does like you said. It, it there are moments in the film that connect with you. Sure. How has the movie industry changed? I know it's been a few years now and you guys have another theater now in Frederick. Um, how has the movie industry changed since you got into this? Uh, well, the film to digital was probably the biggest uh, change. We, um, we, we opened Leidersburg Cinemas in Hagerstown, Maryland in 2010. Literally, we were just starting to get our feet under as we started to uh, pay all our bills um, after our renovation costs. And then the studios came out and said, you have to switch to digital. So hmm. it was, it was a million dollar investment to basically say that's a big, big, yeah, million big dollar ticket. investment. And so we were just, we we're like, all right, well we have to do it. So that transition to take, you know, 10 projectors, 10 sound systems, all that stuff and basically convert it to all digital was probably the biggest change in the last, um, I guess, 10 or 15 years. But I mean, honestly, one of the challenges we have as an industry and it's, it, I'm hoping it, it gets, uh, it gets back to being what it used to be, but it's the idea of the window. Right. So, so we have seen, and we, we sort of all saw it coming at the window between um, exclusive uh, theater a presentation to actually at home viewing has definitely shrunk over the years. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's five or 10 days per year, if you will. It used to be like 120 days and then it started to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And in COVID it's, it's, everything's up in the air. It's like, you know, we're going to get a Netflix film, uh, uh, I think it's I think it's next week. Um, it looks great, but it's going to be on Netflix two weeks later. You know, mm. and it so fundamentally that's that's probably the biggest change that we're wrestling with. At the same time, you know, we're hoping that the studios that 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 relationship um, partnership actually gets stronger, and we figure out how to make not only the distributors you know return from their investors uh, as publicly traded companies, but at the same time, the exhibition space have that exclusive window. Um, so that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest change aside from film to digital. So will you have to, so if it's only a 10 day window, so you will only have that film for 10 days or will you have it longer, even though it's on Netflix? Um, so we'll have the option to what they call holdover. And we, we, we ask those questions when we're deciding whether or not to take the film to see what kind of um, you know, flexibility we have in that. You know, it, it does create more flexibility for uh, the movie theaters to, you know, if a movie doesn't do well, um, you have the flexibility to move it on. If, if a studio has spent, you know, 200 to $300 million on it and $50 million in marketing, 
they're going to, the terms are going to, are they're going to require you to hold it for a number of weeks. So I would say you do have some flexibility in that regard, but it really is on a, on a case by case, studio by studio, director by director, producer by producer basis. Um, and you try to make the best decisions from a programming perspective. Mm-hmm. I know over the years, this and the people I've talked to that who run theaters say that, that oftentimes studios aren't really friendly in paying well to theaters. I mean, is that still an issue? It has not been an issue for us. I mean, just, you know, we pay all our bills. We pay, we pay on time. It just, it's, you know, even if we're having a rough, rough period, you know, it's one of those things where it's, um, it's an obligation that we, we, we need to pay. So, you know, I think it, movie theaters are difficult in that you have to scale uh, admits or attendance in order to get over that hump. You know, and, and another example might be a re- the restaurant business. If you look at a P&L of a restaurant business, you have to get X amount of people just to cover your fixed costs because your, your margins on film are, are, are not great. You know, I think everyone knows that. You make, you make most of your money on popcorn and, and, and drinks. Um, but I, I don't really agree with the concept that it's gotten worse. I think if you look at the perspective of the, of the um, distributors, their responsibility is to their stockholders. And so they have to price a film that's going to do great theatrically and then have ancillary revenue at the end of it. And so, you know, if the terms are, are, are 50, 60, 70%, you just have to drive revenue. So that's where we get into the marketing aspect of it, of driving, getting butts in seats. And when you get over that certain threshold, you actually can make a go at it because you have that same number of people buying concessions. So I would say I would say yes and no. I guess is the answer. It's it, mm-hmm. it probably is difficult, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. So you guys ended up selling the Leitersburg Theater, but then you turned around and you built another one. So what was that process like? Yeah, so we were approached um, back in two thousand and early two thousand eight, actually, or mid two thousand eight, and we ended up selling to a company called New Vision. New Vision had about seventeen locations, and they basically came to us and said, "Look." Your financials are strong. Um, we see that you have cash flow, and that's really the game for them. Is they were rolling up um, movie theaters that had cash flow, and so yeah, so they approached us. It was about a nine-month uh, process negotiation, and they basically sold it. And then we had a transition period where we they kept all the staff. Um, it really continued to do well until COVID hit. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was uh, um, it actually happened in uh, January of 2019. So about about a year and a couple months before COVID hit. So it was an interesting time. Um, but we basically took most of those funds and parlayed it into another uh, another movie theater concept, which is, was about 30 minutes away outside our non-compete. And um, just took what we learned and, and uh, tried to do something uh, a little bit better. You know, we had a newer building, we had a newer facility, all 100% luxury recliner. And... Um, yeah, sort of sold and then doubled down, if you would, on the. <laughs> and I've had the opportunity to, uh, to to be in that theater, and it's it's pretty amazing. It's a really cool space. So, what's your vision for that? Uh, I mean, the vision for Frederick. I mean, it's 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 going extremely well considering the industry. We are um, a top hundred uh, movie theater right now in the country out of about three thousand. Uh, movie theaters again, relative to the industry, because it's it's definitely you know, New York and California aren't open yet. Um, but people are just supporting us like crazy there, and so you know we're learning a lot about food service. We're we're really trying to work out the kinks on food service. We have a full kitchen, 
and uh, we have a full bar and sort of fine tuning those operational pieces. Once we do that, uh, we'd like to play that uh, parlay that into some other locations on the East Coast to start with. Um, we have a couple of letter of intents out there, uh, so fingers crossed we can open <laughs> open another one in the next couple of years. Wait, so I can sit in a theater and have a beer and a burger while I'm watching the movie? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's our menu is actually four really good um, uh, flatbreads, so pizzas, mm. um, and then we also have uh, gourmet grilled cheese. We have four gourmet grilled cheese on the menu, mm. um, so we pick that specifically for the operational aspect of it. So they're elevated, sort of what we call um, uh, comfort food elevated. Um, mm. and so we basically took some classics and and, and have a spin on. But yeah, we also have twenty eight taps of self serve beer um, wow. there in the cinemas. Uh, which is a unique spin as well, back to the idea of experiences. Um, full bar uh, cocktails, we do cocktails themed with the movies. Uh, the other night we had the Big Lebowski event and, and had White Russians, and um, people had a blast with that. It was a good time. What motivates you to success that you're, that you're experiencing? What's your motivation? I mean, I'm an entrepreneur through and through. I mean, I just like the challenge of it all. I like the the building the team aspect. I love um, building brands. I mean, we're just this marketing sort of uh, technology company that's playing in the movie theater space is how I would describe it. Um, and honestly, I, I, I really enjoy not really disrupting industries because I think that has a connotation that you're sort of um, you know, taken from other people, but I, I really, we really tried to think about as for how do we enhance an industry? So I'm on a national board called the independent cinema Alliance. Um, spend a lot of time with them. We're really come up with some cool ways to, to, to strengthen the industry. Um, frankly, across the country, especially independent cinemas. Um, and so that sort of drives me as well. I get excited about that. I have, um, some really cool opportunities to meet with studios and, um, uh, colleagues across the country for that. And, um, and then that sort of is a, is what I would consider the impact category. Um, so, you know, it, it needs to be a strong p and It needs to be strong cash flow, um, all the operational stuff. But then I think there's this level of marketing creativity that gets me excited. There's this level of impact that, get, that gets us excited. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're showing movies, but I think it's like we talked about before, there's a, there's a missional aspect to what we're doing. Um, for what we call uh, creating moments worth remembering. And that's, you know, staying focused on that makes it fun. You know, it's not a turnstile business, but it's a, it's a business where um, we can, you know, for at least a couple of hours, make someone's life better, you know, mm. and uh, mm. spend time with someone that they care about. And in today's world with COVID and all the other things that are going on, that's uh, sometimes we need that, right? Yeah, I think if, if there's ever a time where we need community, where we need connections with other humans being stuck in, in the house for so many, so many months, um, I, I, I can't imagine that we can't come into 2021, assuming that the studios release films, with just a whole resurgence of just people just wanting to get out to the movies. Um, you know, people wanting to go to live music events. I just, I want to go to a live concert again. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, there's only so much you can do virtually. Um, so yeah, I think it's the perfect time for people to get out of the house. Yeah. I know that you guys were just kind of poised to open right as COVID hit. That's a huge challenge. What are some of the other challenges that you guys have, have had in opening this new theater? So, yeah, I mean, there's the, we talk about three headwinds. The first headwind was the fact that we just couldn't open, period. Um, um, 
and 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 now now that headwind is basically a fifty percent occupancy. So we basically can only seat half our seats, um, which which isn't the end of the world right now, but it's going to become a problem in the future if we don't continue to open that up. So that's one thing. Um, the other headwind is just simply that the studios and we understand why, but the studios and distributors aren't releasing films right now because there just isn't a well, back to that occupancy is one example. The the seats aren't there, um, but then California and, and New York are still closed um, mm. to movie theaters. Um, and North Carolina, I believe, is still closed. And Michigan, I think, is opening up soon. And then the third headwind is just this idea of just consumer uh, confidence and, and safety. Like they, they just there's certain percentage of the population again, uh, understandably, that just don't want to come out of the house yet. They're not interested in sitting in an auditorium with you know other people for two hours. Um, so those, those three headwinds are what we're facing right now. And so um, we're really looking at that and just saying, okay, so what can we control? You know, as, as an exhibitor, as a business owner, what can we control? What, what can we do to, to, to generate as much business as we can to create a safe environment for consumers? Um, and then on the advocacy side for me is, is how can we just continue the dialogue with studios um, to make sure that, 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 you know, we do have content because I think the, the industry is reliant on good content coming soon. Um, and I think that that's going to be a challenge for us. Mm-hmm. So speaking of good content, is there a, a lack of good content? Right now, I mean, all the, all the major blockbusters have moved, you know, so, so um, uh, two days ago, I think it was Greenland from STX. Uh, bumped and or didn't bump didn't move to a different date but actually is going straight to amazon prime which mm. those hurt <laughs> sure sure those those hurt so that was an example of, of of good content and i mean i guess good is is is, is subjective at some level but mm-hmm. the the bigger films let's put it that way are are either moved to a later date or they are going straight to streaming and mulan did that too right was it was it mulan mulan went straight to disney plus yeah. which was like the biggest of, of them all that, you know, it's not going to have a theatrical release as far as we know, you know, because mm-hmm. of streaming and Disney plus. But I mean, I'd, I'd say the challenge is when you say, well, you know, the studios aren't releasing content, then it becomes, okay, so what do we do about it? I, like there's actually film out there. Um, mm-hmm. And what we're doing is trying to program effectively to take that challenge and turn it into and make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a lot of independent films. I just watched the trailer this morning from a 24 that we're going to take the movie. Um, it's going to go to um, Apple two weeks later, but the movie looks looks good. And uh, so I think there is opportunity there. The challenge is how do we market it when there is no marketing dollars being spent to market it, right, from, from the studios right. for obvious reasons. So we're sort of uh, pivoting, if you will, and say, okay, so there, there's the challenge. Frederick Maryland doesn't know about this film that's coming out. What are we going to do about it? We're going to sit around and say, oh, I hope people show up. Well, let's figure out creative ways. Let's partner with media companies, radio, television, you know, newspapers, uh, social media, influencers, whatever it takes. And let's, let's do some grassroots stuff on our own to try to get the word out for that. So I think the, the answer to the question is there is, I think – good content out there. They may not be big movies as we're used to seeing blockbusters, but I think the exhibitors who think, how can I solve that challenge from a hyper local marketing perspective will actually be able to pay the bills, to be honest, because we're, we're actually, like I said, doing pretty well with that programming mindset already. 
um, we're just looking to go to the next level on that. So just a little, uh, little put a bug in your ear. There's a movie that was produced by a friend of mine in Ukraine. It's called Legacy of Lies. And it won the Miami International Film Festival, won the one best of best picture there. It's playing across Europe right now. And I think they're probably going to be bringing it to the U.S. at some point. But uh, I want to check it out sometime. So what are you most proud of? Of all the things you've done with uh, with your agency and with, now with the theaters and playing soccer? I mean, what are all the things? What's that one thing that you're really most proud of? I mean, I'd say, I mean, just it doesn't be a personal thing because I think business is secondary. Honestly, for me, uh, I'm actually not, not, the, I'm not, not trying to plug this, but I started a podcast recently called Relative Profitability. And it's really the, it's, it's basically the answer to your question. It's what, what am I most proud of? I think, I think entrepreneurs on the surface, what we do nine to five is, is, is fulfilling, right? So we, we take things, we build them, sometimes we sell them and we reinvest in other stuff. That's all great. I think what I'm most proud of is um, I'm fortunate enough to be married for 22 years. Uh, I think we have a great marriage. Uh, I'm a father of three kids. Uh, I believe we have good relationships with our kids. I think what I'm most proud of is, I'll give you an example. This past weekend at the uh, prayer march in, in DC, my son's a freshman at, uh, at Liberty University. And there's a, I didn't go, I had too much stuff to do around here, but my wife took my youngest. And uh, when, when Reed, my oldest, got off the bus, he walked, he walked over and said hi, whatever, and ended up walking back. But they ended up running into him later, but they saw him from a distance and he was praying. He was actually praying with um, six other guys for our country. And so mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's, a, that's one very recent example of, you know, we can build movie theaters, we can build websites, we can launch brands, we can do all the stuff that is the business side of things. But I honestly don't think we're profitable unless we actually maintain nurture and just develop healthy relationships starting with our family and and that's sort of why that i mentioned the podcast because that's really what we want to sort of uncover is those stories to, to remind people that at the end of the road at the end of the of, of our careers if you will the best case scenario is that we built great companies right and we've employed people we let allowed people to, to, to pay their mortgages and we took care of people and all of those things and, and, and profitability in the true sense of it, but also the profitability, the, 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 uh, the fulfillment that comes with the, the people that were along the journey with you, if you will, that's actually what I'm most proud of right now. And I'm, I'm, I have a ton to learn. So I don't, we, I'm not at the end of the road yet. I'm just getting started, I think. But um, I think I just want to keep that in mind personally. That's awesome. So kind of a similar theme. What are some of the big life lessons you've learned along the way? Um, I mean, I was an odd kid, first of all. So I'm sort of wired. They used to call me the 30-year-old in high school because I had a, <laughs> like, at a day timer. <laughs> they used to make fun of me. Um, and I think, um, I think for, for me, I don't know. I, I think I think day in and day out, if I can continue to uh, enhance the lives of people, if you will, um, I think I think the lessons that I've learned is, uh, you know, I'm, it's, there, there's definitely a lot of grit that comes with entrepreneurship. There's definitely a lot of hard work at the same time. Um, I think I've learned to communicate better. I think I've learned I've learned to be a better leader, even though I'm nowhere near where I need to be. 
COVID has taught us a lot. We've learned to communicate better. I'm an introvert. I'd rather just keep my head down and just go, you know, and inspire and then go. And communication, I think, um, I think I've learned to communicate better um, to, during this time. Um, so I, 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 I say the grit thing on the very front of it because I think I've, I've even gotten a little more grittier, if you will. <laughs> and it sort of fires me up at the same time, not losing sight of, um, you know, the people that, that work for the organization and just trying to be a better leader. Um, it's just an ongoing process. It's education and it's self-reflection pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. You know, this morning out, I was in a, in a Bible study group with some, with some friends of mine uh, on Zoom, and we were talking about how difficult things and situations in our life really are sometimes the best education that we can get. Would you agree with that? That the challenges that we face are really sometimes the kind of where those big lessons come from. Yeah, you know, it, it, as hard as COVID is or was and it still is, I, I told someone the other day, I sort of love it because it's it's causing me to create and to find greater clarity in how we're going to operate effectively, you know, leaner, how we market with less dollars more effectively. And I, and I do think you're, you're exactly right. I, I actually like the fact that we're sort of being pruned, if you will, to just get better as professionals, get better as leaders, right? We come out of this thing. I mean, we, before COVID, things were great for a lot of businesses. Unemployment was super low. And it was just easier. I think, I think the, the, there's, a, there's a verse that talks about iron sharpens iron. You know, I think, I think people can, can obviously be part of that. But I think, I think circumstances can also uh, create the opportunity to just get better, to, to mm. just strengthen relationships both personally and professionally and get clarity on mission, vision, core values, all that stuff. And then, and then, you know, there, there are going to be opportunities. You don't want to be, you know, opportunistic about a situation, but there are going to be opportunities if you can get through this, um, that potentially we don't even see either. So, um, yeah, I, I would tend to totally agree with you. I always say that I'm most creative and I'm most sort of inspired at mile two on a run. And it's, I think it's because it's harder for some mm-hmm. reason. You get to the place where the music's going and you're running and you're like, your legs hurt and whatever. But then you just start, you sort of like the tactical stuff is sort of gone for a minute and you're just sort of processing what you have to work on that day. And then in mile three and four, um, you know, I often will jot down notes after a run. You would think, you know, it's weird, but I think it's because when it's hard, it actually gives you the opportunity to just cut through all of what you're going through that day and just focus. There's a level mm-hmm. of focus and clarity that comes. Yeah. There's something about, about how that those difficult times I know during COVID, you know, I, I was going a bunch of different directions before COVID and, and it really helped clarify where I need to go, mm-hmm. you know, to really narrow that down and to, because I mean, if I do too many things, I can't succeed at any of them. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I clarify my focus and really narrow in what I really need to do, what I must do, then I can succeed. And I think that's one thing that, that COVID helped for me anyway. No, I, I, I totally agree. It really is about clarity. I think when things get hard, you have to focus on what's going to be the, 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 the most, the, the one thing or two things or three things that you need to focus on that day, that week, that month to basically move things forward. It's just like it, everything else just sort of goes away and you just focus in on that thing. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those things that if you could do a do-over, what would that be? 
Uh, do-overs. You know, I mean, in the in the recent past, a do-over for sure. I, I did not do a good job from a leadership perspective um, when we headed into COVID. I sort of did what I continued to do. Yet there were I needed to be a better leader as far as communication. I needed to, I needed to communicate, even if I didn't have the answers at that point. I needed to communicate better, and I think sometimes in our silence, we hurt our organizations because we're just not there leading and managing again, even if we had to answer or not. So I think a do over for me recently would be like, Oh yeah, COVID virtual every, you know, <laughs> it's this weird world that we all get. I, I just sort of, I should have jumped into that and, and, and uh, did a better job, um, you know, leading. And I would say, you know, in the, in the, in the 15 years of being in business, what I would like a do over on is just, I would like to, do a better job with bringing people into the organization and maybe vetting a little bit more than I did in the past and a little bit more of a process around what, what, uh, what roles and responsibilities do we need as an organization and hire in a smarter way. Um, because I think as we, as we grew, uh, we had the unfortunate, you know, people just left the company. I think, I think turnover for us at certain seasons in our business were not what I would have liked to see. And, um, you know, I think we've learned some lessons in the, in the, in the past about that. So really um, just, just trying to, to make good decisions on hiring. Um, I think it's probably going to do over in the past. We've had some great people come through the organizations, but I think there's been, uh, as we've, you know, the craziness, we had six, seven P and L's at one point under our company and it was just a little bit crazy and a little bit disorganized that I would have liked to maybe go a little slower, a little bit more focused. Very good. Well, you and I are both in some way in the movie business and we know what a log line is. So when the movie about, when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? Oof. I mean, I would like to think that I came from a pretty humble uh, family. My, my dad's a pastor. Um, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, you know, they had a small business. They hustled day in and day out. Um, I, you know, built uh, an organization um, that impacted um, the industries that we operated in. So marketing technology, um, I would like to think that the people that back to the people that, that have come through the organization are better as people and professionals and personally for being part of High Rock and Warehouse Cinemas and all the ventures we've done. But again, I, I think at the end of the, at the end of the day, I, I would like to think that the movie is this deep fulfillment professionally in that regard. But at the same time, um, personally, that we were able to uh, maintain and nurture uh, the people, the relationships of the people that are closest to us. So, um, I guess there's a little there's like one small chapter of me playing soccer, which I wasn't that good, <laughs> but we we did. This is like maybe opening credit and then we don't talk about it anymore. But like, um, it's, uh, you know, we won three championships with the blast and, and got to travel, you know, around the country during the season and all that. So that's probably, that helped, um, you know, I think traveling and, and all that stuff helps you with perspective, uh, mm -hmm. have a different experience like that. So I would like to think that they would say, I went to a military college. So it's like, it's like this weird personality. Um, sort of military, you know, married my high school sweetheart, um, played professional soccer, built a couple businesses, and uh, I think impacted lives at the same time would be the, would be the goal. Mm. Somehow, someone, a writer would have to put that together more. 
more creatively. <laughs> so what's the next big thing for you? Um, so we are, uh, you know, only, like I said, a couple months into warehouse cinemas, which is really our flagship. Um, it's hard to tell, uh, but I, I, if I had to, f I mean, we have a 10 year, 10 year plan, a 10 year goal. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be to ramp up what they call a circuit in our industry of a, a grouping of, of movie theaters. So I would say the next big thing is probably to, to find a second, third, fourth, fifth location, uh, get better every, all the time. Uh, we're spending a lot of time on marketing and technology and how we do things uh, differently as far as exhibitors. Um, so I'm working on a project there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess the next big thing is just, uh, is what, what, what's this thing look like after, what does it look like next year? Like other opportunities where we can, you know, uh, impact the industry positively, work on a bunch of initiatives for the industry, which are super fun and, uh, and creative, but then also personally, um, you know, other opportunities for us to take over some buildings, you know, in other areas, uh, make them warehouse cinemas because there's opportunities in those spaces. Um, uh, we'll see. I think, I think, uh, our goal is to really ramp, um, both warehouse cinemas and also get, get back to, uh, marketing and technology, doing some great things at the high rock side. Awesome. Well, Rich Daltrich, it's been uh, a great time talking with you about, uh, your, your story. Thank you for joining us today on the, my story podcast. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Connor. It was good seeing you again. Rich, thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't wait to get out to the movie theater again soon and congratulations on your success. Next time on the, my story podcast, my guest will be Greg Johnson. Greg is one of North America's top professional storm chasers and severe weather experts. He is also an accomplished photographer, speaker, and workshop leader. Tune in to learn how Greg decided to sell his successful marketing agency and devote himself full-time to pursuing his passion for capturing nature's most beautiful and deadly displays of severe weather. That's Greg Johnson, the tornado hunter, next time on the My Story Podcast. The music on today's show is from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. And if you like what you heard today, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast.